Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kiriaki. That's me. Welcome to She's All Over the Place. Today, I have a special guest with me. He is amazing. Right now, he's in Senegal. He goes by the name of Ali Singali. That's his musician artist name.
Ollie. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Katie. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So how's it in Senegal right now? Well, it's very hot right now, but it's a nice and peaceful country as far as, you know, the big pandemic that's going on. It's It's been, they've been doing a pretty good job at it. People are taking care of, you know, safety, wearing masks and such, um, but there aren't a lot of cases. So that's Great. that's really nice. That's really good. Um, so when you go out, do you, you wear masks and gloves and everything, or are you just staying in or how is it with with what you and your family are doing? So mostly when you're going out, a lot of people don't wear masks just when they're walking around in the city. A lot of people, some people do. But if you're going into a store, anywhere where you're going to be in a closed space, they have somebody at the door who requires that you wear a mask and usually will give you a little bit of um, antibacteria. Yeah. Yeah, something to clean your hands with. Great, great. So uh, you were in Michigan before all of this happened, where we actually met and where I'm from. Well, I was born there. And um, then you came through New York City and then you took a flight to um, Senegal. And that was on at the the end of March, right? Or in the 20th uh, March? February, yeah, February. It was oh, uh, February. Yes. And then how long were so- you planning to stay there? I was really just planning to stay for three weeks. It was, I was coming from my dad's memorial, and oh, um, it yeah. turned out to be the whole outbreak began, and I just ended up staying here. But I'm happy to be here right now. Yeah, I'm returning back to roots. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I guess it's been really amazing for you to be there with your family, especially during this time. And yeah. With, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And also just being back in the country because as you were saying in the beginning, I um, uh, went to boarding school here as a kid. I went back to the United States every summer uh, and then I'd come back here during the academic year. So like a lot of my youth was spent in Senegal, like a lot of my upbringing really happened in Senegal. Some obviously in the United States, but I have a lot of my roots I'm here as well. So it was nice, especially after not having been back in Senegal for like, there, it had been seven years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So really like a full reset right now. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm just really reconnecting with, you know, when you're, roots. when you, yes, absolutely. So um, how many languages and which languages do you speak currently? I speak English, of course. <laughs> Um, French and Wolof. And Wolof is the language that uh, most people speak in Senegal before it was colonized. The kingdom that took over most of Senegal was the Wolof kingdom uh-huh. or the Jolof kingdom, it was called. And in Jolof, they spoke Wolof. So uh, no matter what your ethnic group, because there were other kingdoms that were taken, it's kind of like England, you know, uh, and, and, Within England's reach, there was, you know, all these other countries and that spoke their own languages. Well, that's the same thing in, in, in Senegal. Um, there were all these other ethnic groups that spoke their languages, but they also spoke Wolof because the Wolof kingdom was the kingdom that took over. I believe in the early 1800s, but mm-hmm. don't quote me on that. Like, I'm not 100% sure, but they did take over by the time that the the colonizers came to Africa. 
that that was what was going on. The, the, the Well of Kingdom had a lot of the territory in Senegal. And now when you're born, say, there's all these ethnic groups. Say your ethnic group is Pul. That's one ethnic group. Then um, if you're in a Pul family, then within your family, you speak Pul. And when you go out to buy something at the store to play with your friends, you speak Wolof. But then when you go to school, you speak French. Or like when you're you're at work, you speak French typically, especially if it's like an official thing like government or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you end up speaking those. And then, of course, there's like English as the international language. So there's a lot of people that also speak English. You can find that. Okay, cool. Yeah. And it it just seems like your education has been very strict, very sophisticated. Um, Why did your parents choose to have you go to a French boarding school in Senegal? growing up um, instead, of a, so instead of a public school in America for the academic year? I started school here on in first grade, but I repeated first grade mm-hmm. um, because I had already started my education in the United States in Brooklyn, New York, where I'm born. There were a lot of issues, honestly. There were a lot of uh, racial issues that were happening Where? and um, in America mm-hmm. and in Brooklyn. There were incidences uh, between teachers and me. There were incidences, you know, when you're when you, when you're a kid, like your my dad wanted me to have a lot of pride in being black. He wanted me to have a lot of pride in, in being African. Yeah, during that time, especially, um, there was a especially being a dark-skinned person, it wasn't really, it was kind of like the thing not to be, like people made fun of you for having dark skin. And that, uh, my dad didn't want that to create any complexes in me, basically. Yeah. What a um, smart, amazing man. He, he's such a protector, you know, to protect you, to build your self-esteem. So you're not feeling shamed and blamed for who you are. I'm just, um, marathoning right now. This is us. And it's just such an epic story. Have you watched the series? This is us. Oh yeah, I did. I did. Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah. Randall, like, you know, the, the third child, he's just, his story is just impeccable and the the writing is amazing. I just, I love the writing. So my mom really loves that one too. <laughs> and your mom's in DC right now, right? Yeah, they both did actually. They both watched it together. They told me about it. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So you went to um, Michigan State when you were done with school. You then went to college and your goal was um, to be an economist? Yes. Tell me more. Uh, my dad was really into economics. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking for a major, he gave me a lot of advice. And he told me a lot about what he believed like economics, an economics major could, could do for me and, and could do as a person who's an economist for the world. He, he was specifically thinking about agricultural economics because um, he grew up an uh, agricultural village that was really interesting to me and so I thought well you know I do want to do something that is impactful in the world and then after a couple years I actually went all the way to the PhD level and that's when I realized that what I wanted to do 
that needed to be creative. And that's when I realized that I wasn't really, that just wasn't me to, to be an economist. Mm-hmm. So when you were able to go um, through the journey and through the, the ranks and the ropes of, and being guided by amazing parents, it sounds, um, with broad interests of not only for self, but for humanity and the planet. And then um, once you got your backbone in full education, then you decided you wanted to be creative and and more of an artist and take the, the artist path, huh? Absolutely. Cool. Um, Very cool. I think, I think maybe it sounds like some of your spirituality probably came from the agricultural aspects and, and understanding more about like the land and those topics. Tell us more about that. When, when I got into economics, unfortunately, when you get into, when I first got into agricultural economics, I thought it was going to be more human-centered. But actually, economics is, it's mostly about money, to be honest, which is one of the re- one of the things that kind of made me mm-hmm. not as interested once I really got into it, once I, once I was at the PhD level. Right now, I'm actually very interested in agriculture, which is very interesting. Like, I'm, interest, I'm interested because food is just so important and eating healthy food is just so important for us. So being able to have that available is really important to me. And even though now I want to be, I want to do more creative, things I also want to uh, keep an eye and keep thoughts keep my thoughts on how what what kind of things I can do to participate in that definitely well I mean we can make stories with um, you know documentaries and short films and through music videos and stuff and and educate people because you know the authors you're interested in the music you make it's conscious music it's always vibrational uplifting people where do you think you want to do this do you see yourself uh, staying in Africa or I know a lot of people go to places like Italy um, they do uh, programs where they're um, you know they, there's some kind of like exchange programs that people go and do just to be hands-on with the soil and there's like trade trades that people do what are your um, visions I think right right now education as a whole it's so it's so possible to like, you know, find people who are teaching things on the internet. There's this show movie that I watched, a really nice documentary called The Need to Grow. Oh, and, I want to watch um, it. Cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And so <laughs> <You're> I amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I I clicked on uh, my girlfriend sent me the link and um I I was just amazed at what is possible. And I think like you can learn so much from things like that. Um, After you finish watching the documentary, it tells you about all these things that you can do yourself and there's all these workshops. So, you know, I I think that's one example, but I think there's just so many ways Mm -hmm. um, to learn. Just, I have so many friends that are growing their own gardens in their backyards. Yeah, I mean, it starts with self, right? It starts with with self and and just expanding and being a ripple effect within our own communities. You know, a, a micro thing is a, is a macro thing. So yeah, I like, I, I absolutely. Like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So cool that your girlfriend sent you that and to always surround ourselves with people who will bring certain um, inspirations to us, you know, so we can grow ourselves as individuals. Um, I know you've sent me some like cool books and quotes and authors and 
Who are some, uh, who are some of your spiritual leaders? I have so many spiritual leaders. I mean, so many spiritual influences because there's just been so many people that came through with like amazing messages. My favorite is probably Krishna, Judy Krishnamurti. Mm-hmm. Um, he just has an amazing story. I mean, in short, he was groomed to be a prophet, but then he decided to tell everybody like, hey, I'm not a prophet, you know, I'm just a person and, you know, I, and he dismantled this whole group that was supposed to be following him. So then he went on to speak with, speak on about his wisdom and, you know, Mm -hmm. it was very interesting. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he was very I can read a quote that I think is very interesting from him like he was he was just about being a peaceful person and he was and he was anti-violence in any kind of way he says violence is not merely killing another it is violence when we use sharp words when we make a gesture to brush away a person when we obey because there is fear so violence isn't merely organized butchery in the name of God in the name of society or country violence is much more subtle much deeper and we are inquiring into the very depths of violence and he inquired into the very depths of a lot of things (laughs) wow yeah I mean, it's so apropos to the times of now, you know, and um, being nonviolent and just really, really taking that to heart and to the root of nonviolent communication. Yeah. What a beautiful quote. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yes. And um, uh, another contemporary uh, person that I've been following a lot is Marianne Williamson. Oh, same. Me too. Yeah. She's just such, I think she's just such a treasure right now. It's really great that she was a presidential candidate, I think. I mean, not only because I think uh, she would have made such a huge difference, but also just because it made more people be aware of her. Mm -hmm, Definitely. It definitely put it on our new platform. You know, um, before the lockdown and all this happened um, at La Cienega in Olympic in Los Angeles, she would have these monthly talks that you could go to. So um, I went a few years ago. That's when I was introduced to The Course in Miracles. And then, Mm. and all these books were there. And I I was such a big like audiobook queen. So I'm like, oh, I'll just get on audiobook. And I looked it up and it was only available for the ebook. So I ended up like wanting to read it, not reading it. And then like a couple years has passed. And I was listening to um, Hay House did this 10 day conference with all these amazing speakers. And a lot of them spoke and, and were being teachers of The Course in Miracles. So I had this itch and all of a sudden I was going through my book shelf and there was a brand new book of A Course in Miracles. So I started reading it myself about a month ago and you told me you're reading, uh, there's an app version and you're reading it right now on the app as well, right? Yes, yes. That's so cool. Um, what page are you on? Honestly, I kind of fell off of that. I was yeah. reading I was reading it and then I decided that I'm going to start all over at another time. Me too. I'm so, going to do that too. It's funny. Oh, perfect. We can no, start it, together. Yeah. Like, I just feel yeah. like it's more interactive if you read it with somebody. So maybe you said your girlfriend's coming tomorrow from Greece. She's in Greece <laughs> in Paris, right? Yeah, she happens to be in Greece at the moment. I have to share her lockdown story because she she, out of all the lockdown stories, she has the best lockdown story ever. Okay. 
like she wins she wins like best lockdown story did you tell her yet you have to tell her when you when you like grab her and hug her tomorrow when you see her when she arrives absolutely um, yeah so so what happened was you know uh she was traveling with Ali and he was going to Senegal and she was going to Greece to meet Prince. her friend. No, she was, she was going to France. Sorry. She was going to France. And then after France, she was going to Greece and she went to an Island, which Island Rhodes. She went to Rhodes, which is an Island I haven't been to yet that I really want to go to. It's one of the most beautiful islands I've heard and it's amazing. And I've seen photos, but um, she was meeting a friend from America there, but her friend from America didn't get out on time before they closed everything down. So she ended up being in this beautiful home in Rhodes on an Island in Greece all by herself because her friend who owned the property wasn't there. He was off wherever and she was having, you know, the space and there's like a market down the street and there was like no cases whatsoever. So she's, she's deserted on this beautiful island during the lockdown by herself this whole entire time. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, what a dream. What a dream to be there during all, all of this that, that was going on. Yeah. So what, like her friend, her friend came back to the property now as planned and uh, she left. How long was she there at the, at the home in Rhodes by herself? Well, he, yeah, she's, she's still, She's actually still been there, cause um, but she's just leaving to come to Senegal. Okay, cool. So she's still been there. And things and things opened up. Things opened up a little bit there. So like a lot of uh, a lot of things have started moving, and she's had some uh, opportunities to move around, and like she's done some work there. Like she's really interested in um, health and food, and you know, growing things in an ethically and sustainable way permaculture and all that so yeah that's what she's been focusing on yeah my sister's into permaculture as well so it seems like you guys have a great kinship and a, and a line on that ground yeah. rooted level which is so beautiful yeah, yeah no pun intended yeah 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 <laughs> uh, so circling back around so uh mary ann williamson she's been a huge inspiration for you during this time mm -hmm. she's been a huge inspiration like i think that just the fact that she's a contemporary, you know, she's out there and um, she has just this beautiful message, like her best-selling book is A Return to Love and that's what I she read focuses it. on. Yeah, I, I, I it's a very good book. I listen to it on book. audiobook. It's so graceful. Me too. She's an angel. Yeah, I listened to it on audio. Her voice is so graceful. It was so healing just to hear it and it's just so simplistic and just, it makes so much sense. It's like we have to listen to it. We have to keep listening to it, you know, so it gets in the depth of our souls it just really really touches it, it touched my soul deeply deeply so the book you sent me um on the Jitta guide what's his name Jitta Judy Krishnamurti Judy Judy Krishnamurti so um what's the name of his book that you sent me a couple years ago I don't I don't remember exactly what oh. book that what book that was but like I know script or something yeah freedom from the unknown is the is the one that that I've been uh, reading again. Uh-huh. My sister mentioned to me the other day the Osho documentary, which um, I Wild heard about. Wild Country. Yeah, I haven't, I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. So I think I'm going to watch it tonight. Uh, I definitely need to watch it. So you saw it. Yes, it's very, it's very good. It's, a, it's actually an amazing documentary. There's a lot of twists. Yeah, and the storytelling is just a well-made documentary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember when um, I first moved to Los Angeles, one of my artist friends, Robert Sturman, you have to meet him. He's amazing. He's a great photographer like you. Uh, I'll introduce you. I'll, I'll send you. You've probably seen his work on Instagram, but I'll, I'll, 
I'll connect you so you can follow him and say, hey, what's up? But um, he turned me on to Osho in 2005. And um, Bodhi Tree, it's on Melrose. It was, I don't know if the bookstore is still there, but I haven't been there in a while. But because I can do all the, all the audio books, but I've read a bunch of Osho books. I've been a big fan of Osho and his, his ways for, wow. I mean, it's been 15 years, but yeah. So I'm excited to see the documentary. Uh, Yeah. So you're a conscious artist who makes music and you take amazing photos and when was it you directed you shot our music video obliterated in detroit yeah that was a few years ago me and uh, my friend mark samano yeah that was that was a fun time that was a good video yeah we went to the heidelberg projects i mean we went to legendary land for artists and like it was so cool because i've always heard about those places and growing up in michigan like i never went with any artists artist friends I never went and so it was really cool to go with you and Mark and Nikki and experience these things uh it was it was it was so cool it was really really awesome while I know I've been seeing on your Instagram and we'll we'll share your social statuses uh your social handles with with everyone in the links uh, on the show notes so you've been on like TikTok and you've been uh making these videos like um you know singing your heart and soul out and and sharing amazing quotes are you writing new music right now um do you plan to shoot like a some a short um when your girlfriend gets there like what what are you going to do creatively during these times or what have you been doing well so far as you're saying i've been making I'm making a lot of little short videos. There's this app. It's kind of like TikTok. It's called Voicey. Mm -hmm. And I've just been making all these, you know, just small videos on there with some songs that I've just made using the beats that they provide there. And those beats just come from people who just submit it. So that was kind of a way for me to, you know, keep practicing, making music, practicing writing, you know, stay stay creative. I do also have lots of songs that I've made a while ago that I'm waiting to uh, mix and master. Um, at some point, I'm going to release those. Cool. That's awesome. I'm excited to hear those. I should maybe, uh, I made 22 new beats all all um you know um i'm really excited about the, the yeah yeah i'm i'm releasing my first ep um they're hypnotic energy beats and actually they have sound healing frequencies on them but i think today i'm going to send you a couple beats and you let me know like what vibe you like and uh, i would love for you to write something to it and just like record it and i'll have nikki since you know the song's already done and mastered um it'll be easy to pop your vocals on there so if you want to do that we could we could collaborate and do that um and do like a single or something together to start that could be really cool yeah absolutely it'll be it'll be kind of like uh it's it's funny but um when we first met remember um i made a beat that you put something to oh yeah oh my god (laughs) you send it to me like i i need to hear that yeah i i thought some i was looking through stuff and then i found it i'm gonna try to try to find it again all right if it's not 100 percent complete thank god we have a the the missing piece of the puzzle nikki over here so he can he he can mix it up and master it (laughs) and make it and we can we can release it at some point that'd be that would be super cool (laughs) yeah that'd be cool bump it up touch it up (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So tell me some more of your plans. Yeah. So I'm also as a filmmaker, 
the two vocations that I want to dedicate most of my energy to right now are film and music. And I feel like writing is somewhere in there because, you know, it's all connected. Being in Senegal, I want to start filming things. As you mentioned earlier, like I've been taking pictures. I'm just going to continue doing that, taking pictures, but also planning videos. I don't have anything specific ideas yet that I want to do, but all that is going to, I'm, I'm going to look into all that while I'm here. Yeah, it'll all come together. I definitely want to uh, collaborate, do a song with you, and then continue our creative relationship together and, and do some um, cool projects. I'm really interested, actually, as a producer to share um stories, you know, maybe create a, a, a web series or a short film or something and um, hire an all African-American cast and director and writer and producer and, you know, filmmaker and, and music and everything and just really create space for people of color to be a part and just really give them the, the time and respect that they need and deserve, um, especially during with, um, you know, this revelation that's been happening. I know you have interests and uh, raising consciousness, social justice, um, as well as shadow work. So let's talk about some of those subjects. Where do you want to start? Shadow work. Shadow yeah. work, I think, yeah. is very important. Yeah, I, wa I want to start with shadow work, too. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about it. <laughs> shadow work is the beginning uh, even before social justice, you know, like I, it's all connected, really, because the need for social justice is because there's a lot of shadows in, in our society and our society is made of people. And so, of course, there's a lot of shadows in people. And what shadows are parts of ourselves that we uh, deny that we repress, like the parts of us that we think are ugly or like not politically correct or, you know. We're shamed. We're, we're taught to have it buried deep down. We're told that's not good. And so we hide it and we act like it's not there. And then Absolutely. we believe that it's not there because that's what we were taught. Uh, yes, absolutely. And, and that's also, and sometimes also it's like a behavior that we know is, is not righteous behavior. And so we hide that as well. So it could, it could be, sometimes it's also, sometimes it could be a behavior that, it, that isn't really that bad, but society is saying that it is bad or culture is saying that it's bad. And so we repress that as well. An approach to shadow work is one, it's like an entrapment. So it's like you're scared to even talk about it because you're told to stuff it so far down or to act like it's not even there. And we like really are brainwashed that it's not there. So one way is writing about it, then maybe burning it, throwing away just to, to get it out. So it's like um, not stuck within the emotional body and the cellular body. Uh, another way is by like what we're doing, like uh, acknowledging it, like putting it out there instead of having it inside, we put it out there and then like communicate about it. And um, the big word lately is entanglement. So it's a lot of everything being, you know, tangled all together. So are you someone people can speak to about shadow work and are, are there, there a healer and uh, shadow work 
people out there who help other people recognize patterns of their shadows that they're just oblivious to. And then it's like, oh, there's the red flag or oh, there's the shadow. And it's a process and it's an unfolding and it, it takes time. And it's like you're going over and over in the pattern, the cycle. And then you're like, oh, here it is. That's what it is. And then or sometimes people can identify immediately and know, you know, their triggers or their shadows. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that it's important to be receptive when people do do shadow work i mean this everybody has a shadow so when somebody has a behavior or 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 something or like when they have a shadow that that they feel shame about and that's why they've repressed it like when they share that with somebody who receives it without judgment that that is a helpful way to help somebody deal with their shadows it's of course this is like something that most of us have to just do on our own because it doesn't really help much to point people's shadows out because that you know they're the reason why they're keeping it in um but (laughs) yeah if somebody but if somebody feels safe around you being completely authentic you know then they can discuss Discover their shadows just by communicating with you. They can communicate something that was before repressed and now they're like, oh, wait, you know, I didn't know that I was thinking that way. And like, you know, after they bounced it off of maybe like because also you received it in an authentic way, maybe you weren't judgmental, but at the same time, you you didn't say you're not like oh that's okay you're not condoning something that isn't that that isn't okay and they can and just by receiving it authentically people kind of get can can get that from having bounced it off of you they can get that oh wait this isn't even really how i believe that this is like I'm not I don't even agree with this and though that's I think a way of um dealing with shadows well another thing about shadows is that we tend to to project them to so a lot of times when you're when you're blaming other people a lot you can kind of see like oh wait a minute like is that because i do that you know in this in some other way you know is that why it's triggering me and that's also a shadow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah i feel that i feel that and um uh, I'm a projector. I'm a, I'm a complete projector. There's what is it? Um, my sister did my my chart and she read all my uh, chakras and everything like that. Oh, it's it's uh, slipping by me right now. Though, actually, human design. Yes, yes. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> your human design. The human design. Yeah. So um, there's five different. Yeah, and I'm a projector. I'm I'm a projector. So it's like I have this vision, and it's like I have a foresight, and I have this vision of how things, and I'm I'm the connector, and so I connect all these people, and my but my sister's like, don't project this onto me, don't project this onto <laughs> me, and I'm just like, hey, like I'm I'm a poet, I'm an artist, I speak, I am a storyteller, I speak in color, I speak through images, like that's how things come through me. So it's like when I'm paint, when I'm telling, saying something, it's like I'm painting a story. I don't mean to like project it onto you. I'm like, let's 
go around that wall because when someone says that a wall goes up and when the wall goes up you can't get over the wall and it's someone who knows to put the wall up and they're so close to you and you get triggered so it's like hey hey, hey let's go around that okay and let's talk about something else but I think moving on to another subject but that's the same is I think it's one of the reasons why I left so young Michigan I was always a seeker I was always a seeker with my Greek roots and the philosopher Socrates and Plato and um, Aristotle I just I always I was always a seeker one of um, Socrates one of my favorite quotes Socrates he's like a philosopher is a person who's a lover of wisdom you know who's a seeker who's a lover of wisdom and I'm like I'm a teenager I'm reading that I'm like yeah that's me that's who I am and, and I've traveled the world I'm so grateful and blessed to have been able to travel the world but it really got me out of my Pandora box and it really got me around so many different kinds of people where it's like it it's like I'm gonna wait So that's, by the way, that's like a religious chanter. Awesome. Oh, cool. That's so cool. Um, what is he chanting about? Oh, I, I, I don't really know. You know, it's like, you, you know. How Maybe he's it doing is. a like, prayer for us or something or for me. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, um, yeah, but what I was saying is like, um, I left Michigan at a really young age and I just wanted to seek, seek and travel the world. And I really think it got me away from my own shadow and the, the shadow that just like hovers over you in your everyday habits and circumstances and to see that there's so much out there. And a lot of people, I know I do, share things with complete strangers because, you know, it's nice to hear their reactions or just observe their reactions of how they receive what what you're saying and, and getting feedback from them. So when you're when you have that knowing deep down and you're connected with the source and then you're able to communicate with a lot of other people, you soon realize not everyone's like this and you don't have to be confined by your circumstances of of growing up, you know, because a lot of people, they don't leave their cities, they don't leave their towns and they stay in their bubbles and it's like 30 years go by and they just went through the whole system, you know, they go through the system, the educational system, which hasn't been upgraded in over 100 years and then they have a scholarship or uh, have mommy and daddy pay for their education or they go in debt with the government and, you know, to have a loan, to have this education. And then you're, you know, you graduate and then you go off to be a doctor or a lawyer or, or what have you. And like, you're paying off this debt. It's like, you know, obviously the old system that that's just does not work, that has not been working. But I was like a child and I'm like, this is not happening. And I marched to the beat of my own drum. As spiritual beings, you know, I feel like we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. I think we all have have this deep knowing, but we're just so confined by the patterns and the rules of our parents and our circumstances that a lot of a lot of people become sheep and a lot of people do as they're told and they're taught to be polite and turn a blind eye and not to do and take action from within, you know, until you get to a certain point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely important to not be controlled too much by culture and just to be just work from you know act from within act from your own intuition march to the to your own drum that you were saying and i think that um especially when we're connected to our deepest selves then that's when we can um 
that's when we act from a place of love and love is greater than than all the roles that we have even within society because culture isn't always right in fact a lot of times it's wrong and i mean we can see how our society is it's not perfect uh when you act your deepest self when you act from a place of love then you use the knowledge that you have of the world and you take actions that actually make the world better there's spiritual people from different backgrounds talk about bringing heaven to earth and i think that's what it means that's what they mean by that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beautiful your your words are so beautiful and wise thank you yeah yeah definitely um i have a question um do you have any recommendations for books for shadow work if people want to listen to something or read something any go-to juicy tips for the listeners there's a lot of books on shadow work one book that i read was called romancing the shadow by connie zweig or zweig i'm not sure how to say her name but she is it's a really interesting book that focuses more on like our relationships with with people and how the shadow takes has some has a play in it and it's a really old book um but it's a really good one what i've read but honestly i feel like there's just so many good shadow work books out there because it's now it's become more and more of a a uh, big topic it all started with Carl Jung who talked about the shadow being a part of you know the what makes up our psyche and the shadow work is getting to know our shadow and by getting to know our shadow where by shedding light on our shadow you know we're able to integrate the positive parts of it and we're able to transmute the negative parts of it. Mhm. Mhm. Love that. Yeah, there's a book called um The Primal Scream and the author talks about uh gateways, how we have gateways within our um brain so that protects us from ourselves. Like something could be right in front of us, but because like we were taught or that it'll trigger us so deeply on a psychological level that we can't handle it that there are like gateways that protect us from ourselves. Can you believe that? That's like so wild. Yeah, that is very interesting. And but but it's, I, I I believe it. You know, I I think we live in our conscious mind. We, but our unconscious, there's so much that goes on within it. We do have parts of us that are trying to protect us. Sometimes even too much. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. I um. Do you know Marissa Peer? No, I don't. Oh my God, she's like one of the best hypnotherapists in the world. I met her at a Mind Valley um reunion event. I was invited, and she was amazing. In front of 800 people, she um, hypnotized all of us, and I got a chance to sit down and talk with Marissa Pierce. She does RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy. And she has this program. Mm. It's called I Am Enough. And it's a 90-day program. So it's it's broken into these different modules. And so I'm doing um, the first module right now. And it's um, your divine purpose. So the first video is like 30 minutes long. And she has you go back. And from the age of 7 to 14, you think of like three specific things from 7 to 14, because that's when you knew what you loved, what excited you, what you wanted to do. 
and you have these three stories. And then after that, like, okay, that's like locked and sealed. You have that. And then you go on and then the same hypnosis um, recording, it's 20 minutes long. You listen to it for 21 days in a row before you go to the next module. So I'm on the first module right now of the divine purpose. And um, it's been about a week now. And so like I have those three things that I, that came up in the initial like 30 minute hypnosis. And then all these other things have been coming up and I'm peeling like an onion. So I'm, I'm like in it right now. But literally for the last week, I've been having such vivid, detailed dreams. And I like literally need to voice record it so I can just wake up and just like have my dream journal and just write it out down, all down or just get into the studio and just like record it. It's been so awesome. And I felt I've been feeling so great and like really clear. And at the end of the day, going to bed, feeling so full and more of purpose and just feeling like I like did my best today. And like I'll reflect of like who I shared moments with and how I helped another human being or something um, inspiring inspirational that you know came through me today and and just it's been it's been it's been a true blessing but um I definitely highly suggest um Marissa Peer for um hypnotherapy she's she's brilliant she's amazing um that's yeah. cool yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What I want to transfer into is um, social justice and what it means to you. Yeah, social justice. The thought of Marianne Williamson comes up again because I think she is one of the spiritual teachers that is very adamant about the importance of social justice. Sometimes people feel like spirituality and social justice are, are separate, but actually, uh, social justice is a deep is, is a very important part of spirituality because uh, we live in a society when there's social injustice that's that's creating this environment of fear. There's, there's a lot of people who uh, go through really unnecessarily difficult situations. Fear. False evidence appearing real. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I just think that social justice is is an important part of. I was trying to look for a quote of Marianne Williamson about social justice. Yeah, I mean, it inspires me definitely, but also like I just agree. I just agree with her approach. I feel like social justice and spirituality go hand in hand. We need to be involved in social in social justice as part of what we are contributing to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Getting to the source of the truth, you know, and, and communicate and, and share with one another because it builds up these invisible barriers and everything's energy and, and you know, some most people can't see energy, right? <laughs> um, some people see auras and some people can see energy, but you feel it and some people can see energy. Like you see someone and within three seconds, it's it's very simple. It's yes or no. It's yes or no. It's within three seconds. Like, you know, they say um, that beautiful documentary. Um, oh, it's a documentary about the heart. Oh, it's a beautiful documentary. And they say your heart is like so much more powerful than your mind that like you feel and you know something before you actually like see the scenario or the person. 
person, like your heart knows before your, your mind even knows. Your brain has 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day and 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts and most of them are negative according to Dr. Joe Dispenza. But I remember you were in DC and you shared a story with me of social injustice. There was a circumstance that happened with you and I would love for you to share that if you would. Absolutely. I think as an African-American, there's just so many things that happen in our society that we experience, you know, at various levels. But uh, on a, a daily basis, really, to a certain extent. So I had this experience where I went out with a friend and we were just having fun at a club and um, it was more like a bar, really. Who um, was the friend? Was dancing. It was a cousin of mine. Okay. Yeah. And so we were, we were dancing and I like to, I, when I go out, that's what I'm, into doing i like to dance and i'm a dancer yeah. I, I love dancing we should definitely yeah, I, go dancing sometime we, we need oh, yeah, to dance we, just, <laughs> we need to dance <laughs> big time uh, so many people need to dance right now it's crazy yeah like, in spirit, inspired thing. yeah yeah so i ended up there was this uh man who i didn't know was the off-duty cop but he was acting as a bouncer at the time and at one point throughout the night he just asked me to follow him as I was coming down from the stairs going back to the first floor. And I asked him why, and then he flashed his badge. And then I was like, yeah, but why? And he just went into this rage um, and just started pulling me out. Then all these other bouncers pulling me out. And then I thought, well, you know, I don't know what his reasoning is, but, you know, I know that I didn't do anything and so um the worst thing that might happen is that i'm just going to be taken out of the club and not allowed back in based on this guy's whatever whatever his personal issue was with me but um what ended up happening was that he started putting handcuffs on me and then uh, i ended up in a in a police car and this whole time of course i was asking what did i do like what am i being arrested for and he didn't answer and um then i went to the uh police jail and um nobody told me what i was being arrested for still there they didn't give me a phone call or anything and then i asked a woman a police officer there for my phone call and she was like oh yeah you get your phone call later once you're transferred to this other uh place so basically the way it worked was that because it was friday night and the courts don't work on saturdays and sundays they took me to the jails that are underneath the court where wow. you get ready for your arraignment. Wow. And so I ended up having to spend uh, about uh, two days and a half in those cells once they brought me there. And when I, was, when I arrived there was when I asked a woman who was there like, for a phone call. And she was like, oh, you should have got, gotten your phone call at the other place where the first woman had told me that it wasn't. And then I asked her, well, can you tell me um, what I'm being arrested, what I got arrested for? Because nobody would tell me. And they told me that it was assault to injury. Uh, and, um, you know, obviously I didn't assault anybody. So... <laughs> So yeah. I was really, uh, I was shocked. But at the same time, you know, I believe that, well, they're going to have to produce somebody who I injured. So right. um, I'm pretty sure that 
that if they're just going to look stupid once once uh, I go to the judge. And I thought also that I would get this lawyer um, from the court and then I would, at the arraignment, I'd be able to explain what had happened to me and they'd be you're like, so oh, sweet. wow, you're that's so crazy. Yeah. You're so <laughs> well, sweet. You're so sweet. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, you know, like I feel, I feel like when you haven't been in those kind of situations, like you, you, you kind of, you have more. I didn't really trust the police officers, but I thought like, the system, the system was a lot better than it was. Wow. Um, but then when I, then we went into this room right before the arraignment, and everybody had their lawyers come and talk to them, and my lawyer said he didn't need to hear my story. He actually said he was just going to put me back on the streets and I was like the streets <laughs> oh my god and, and, and what, so if you, if you don't mind me asking was was your attorney who was your what was your attorney like male female or what oh he was he was he was male he was he was african-american I mean oh. you know it's yeah it's the system you know mm-hmm. the system is the system, the, yeah. the system is 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 like that you know and once yeah. you're once you're in the system, they they try to keep you in there. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's entrapment. I mean, that's a whole other story, but it's entrapment. Once you're in the system, man, like it is hard to get out because they just give you one thing after another. So what happened? Like, and also they don't like they don't like to show that they've made a mistake, so they prefer to cover up their mistake. Even if the mistake wasn't made by like if the mistake was made by one police officer, the whole system wants to cover that thing up. They don't uh-huh. really like just. Justice doesn't matter, unfortunately, in that situation. So did so, your attorney ask you your story? Like, did he ask, like, oh, what happened? And then you're like, oh, like, this is what happened? And and he's like, oh, no, he uh, not even, at all. He didn't even ask? I mean, I, I offered to tell my story, and he told me he didn't want to hear it. So we ended up at the judge and um, at the arraignment because I tried to insist, but he was definitely not, he was definitely closed to hearing my story. And so I realized that, well, you know, I can't argue with him. So I might as well just go to the arraignment and talk to the judge. And the who judge was the judge? Looked, the judge was an African-American woman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, once it, once it, you're in the system, it doesn't even really matter. Like they're all working for the same thing. Got it. Um, it's, so they, you know, so even African Americans in the system, do you feel like they need to turn a blind eye to so because they don't want to get fired from their job in their position, or or did she have more compassion for you and understand your position? Like, what what do you instinctively feel and what happened? I think that a lot of the people in the justice system, not all of them, obviously, there's like, I don't think there's ever really like a 100% generalization, but I think they're all, once it's like if you're hired somewhere, you become part of that system and like you end up doing the things that that system wants you to do. So like you end up having a belief system that, that is going along with that system. It's like African-American police officers Officers also assault people, African Americans in in African American neighborhoods, and it's because that's just how the system how the system is. It's Sad. yeah, um, but there you know there it, it it does it can make a difference that 
that somebody is African American, but sometimes it sometimes it doesn't. A lot of times it doesn't. Once it once it has to do with the system. So like in this particular case, she just gave me one look, and you know I was like all messy and stuff from you know being in jail for three days. <laughs> so yeah. like she probably just like looked at me and was like, "Yep, you know that guy doesn't look put together." It's like you know just snap judgments, and also it's very convenient. So she she ordered me to have a uh, a drug test and stuff yeah immediately and wow. yeah and at the time i was smoking marijuana at the time mm-hmm. so um which is legal now and that's kind of a funny thing because i remember i saw a judge you know punish this uh take this guy and threaten him with time in jail took him away from his job to come to court and was scolding him for smoking because he said, see, now you're here at court, you know, and you're not working. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, he's not working because he's here at court, you know, like he hasn't done anything to anybody. And obviously that's the, that's the reality because I personally don't even smoke anymore for my own reasons. But I know for a fact that it helps a lot of people. And I know for a fact that for sure doesn't harm harm people. For sure doesn't cause you to harm people. So, you know, that's another way of getting a lot of people yeah, I mean, in, we have into the system. We have cannabinoid receptors within our body. We have hemp receptors. Definitely a healing property. I'm so glad it's legal in a lot of places. Uh, okay, so when you got your um, drug test, did do you fi- back then? Did they find out like that day, or like uh, how long did it take for them to see your test result? And then what yeah, happened? so they found out that day, and uh-huh. then I had to come to court. Like I had to come to court every single day to get tested again until it completely got up system and then for like a couple weeks after until my lawyer uh got them to um stop the tests so i wouldn't have to wouldn't have to come to court every day so how many weeks Um, or months of going to court and uh, tests in court did you have i believe it was like about it was it was about two weeks Okay. And then what? Once it's out of your and system that, and you don't have it in your system, then what? Then what happened? Well, then I still needed to go to court because I was still accused of assaulting uh, somebody. Ooh. And I, and it turned out at first they said that it was this guy. I remember, still remember the name, of course, even though I don't know who person was that they were saying it was supposed to be Rashid or something like that at first and then all of a sudden I looked at the documents and they had changed it and it wasn't Rashid anymore I was being accused of assaulting the police officer (laughs) so that's how you know it's amazing how they have that ability to make those changes you know I thought Um, you were going to say that originally I thought you were going to say it was the police officer I thought he was just you know I thought that's what you were going to say originally Wow. Yeah, probably thought, you know, because they probably thought, well, we can't really produce this guy, Rashid. We can't bring him to the court and and we want to keep this going. So now it's just we're just going to say it's the police officer. And they changed it in the papers. But luckily I caught that. 
And uh, I'm the one who showed that to my lawyer. And I was like, um, wow. I feel like that's something that we should look into because all of a sudden the victim even changed. And did and, you have a cell um, phone during that time? Because that would have been really cool to like photograph it and like the, the difference, the different, the change. If, you know, if you were that quick to think about it, <laughs> if you were able yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, at the time I didn't think, I just thought like, you know, I was just thinking about getting uh, out of that situation because yeah, you're probably scared. I did risk, yeah, I did risk being, uh, in jail for in fact my 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 lawyer had recommended that I just he said that you know this is a difficult situation to get out of like usually when a cop accuses you then they just take the word of the cop mm -hmm. and so like my best bet was to take this plea bargain where I'd say that I'm guilty and then I'd do some <gasps> uh, hundred hours of community service and then they'd erase it from my and I said no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that I'm guilty when I'm not guilty like I feel horrible doing a hundred hours of community service for like you know for something that I didn't have to do like I prefer I prefer to fight all the way to the end for what is what actually happened god great yeah so then what happened and uh eventually what ended up happening is the cop just lied so much like he first he had said you know first there was the change of names which the judge didn't catch but like then he said that i punched him in the chest and initially he had said that i punched him in the face so like there was just all these discrepancies and the judge was like all right this is like very fishy and i'm releasing i'm gonna just gonna release him um also the policeman's lawyer had changed and i'm sure that they had to change the prosecutor because the prosecutor knew something was fishy and didn't want the first prosecutor was the african-american woman i bet that she was like i'm not going to be part of this and then uh this other woman came in a uh, younger jewish woman and uh i remember she would like look at me during the whole time and i could tell that she was starting to she was starting not to believe the police officers because they tried to make me look as if I was a belligerent, crazy person. And then yeah. there I was just sitting very uh, serenely. Um, yeah. And so I know that that made her sing. And she actually, she was actually the one to say, wait a minute, you said that he punched you in the face. So she kind of supported the judge's case. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And then that was the end of that. But, you know, showed me was that there's so many other people who, one, like I was able to get a lawyer, you know, so many people who would have had to stay with that first lawyer. An appoint, that was, appointed attorney. So you were, so you got a separate lawyer. Right. But most people yeah. have the appointed attorney and they, they're sheep. They do as they're told. And there was probably a lot of people out there doing hundred, hundreds of hours of community service and enslavement work for things that they, that was unjust that they didn't even do do from if they're lucky really. yeah yeah so i have a question was your mom there did she show up in court with you every time or what how i mean i must it must have been so brutal for your mom yeah of course well it was for my mom and dad uh at the time like they also because they didn't give me a phone call and and they basically just kidnapped me <laughs> so um i never had 
a way of letting my parents know or my friend even know what happened to me. All of a sudden, he just didn't see me anymore, which is also concerning because, you know, that police officer can do that. Okay, so did he go and tell your parents? Well, he told my parents that I disappeared um, just- and that he had no, no idea where I went because... That's that's kind of how it happened. They just quickly pulled me out of the club and then put me in handcuffs and pushed me in a car. Okay, um, so this is traumatic and to hear. It's just like it's. I'm seriously like I'm really sorry this this happened. It's super traumatic. Um, and then so post all this thing, you think it's over, but actually on a psychological level, there's a lot of rooted fear and, um, you know, you feel like I'm in this country and I'm supposed to be protected by these law enforcement people, but actually you have to be paranoid and, and eyes wide open to make sure like you're acting a certain way in front of police officers. Like, I mean, it's, you know, traumatic. So how was that emotional experience for you? How did that unfold after the the main event of being in the court system and, and going through that emotional nightmare with your family? Yeah. So, I mean, I was, of course, my parents were really upset, you know, that they didn't know where I was. And eventually they found out on the second day. For me, throughout the whole experience, I kind of went in and connected with my spirituality and and my belief in in the way that the universe works. And I thought, well, you know, God put me in this situation, and so you know, He'll get me out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, but at the same time, on a purely practical uh, level, I it also opened my eyes to to how unjust the system is mm-hmm. and. Um, After that happened, I decided that um, I didn't want to be affected emotionally by it. Like I kind of made a conscious decision that I wanted to make sure that I didn't have a fear fear of of police officers or anything like that. I'm not saying that I, I don't fear being in situations like that when I'm in the United States. Like you can't really get get away from that because if I'm in a situation where um, I feel like I'm I'm vulnerable to a police officer who's supposed to be protecting me, you know, of course I'm going to be on my guard. You know, I'm Greek American. And I mean, I remember growing up in Livonia, Michigan. And still I was I was on my guard, even though because I was like a little rascal rebel child. But like I was, you know, I was just being a kid or something. But I remember it was like, uh, you know, me and all my friends would be like, oh, there's a cop. Oh, watch out. There's a cop. You know, so you always you're always I mean, you're always like, oh, there's a cop. There's a cop. You know what I mean? So even me, I was just like ah, hyper like paranoid or aware um, you yeah. know, of just being aware because it's a it's a scary thing when you think about it they're supposed to be there for your your safety which at some times you know if something is happening or you know there is a cop around you're like oh that's good because like there's protective eyes around but yeah mm-hmm. absolutely that's not the feeling that they inspire in people they don't inspire that feeling of um, unfortunately they inspire a feeling of fear even if you haven't really done anything and then if you're african-american then that is brought up to another level because you feel like they could do anything and get away with it just like they have you know many times we've seen like so many cases and so many videos so 
you know, that's definitely in the African-American psyche when it comes to uh, policemen. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of just like an off-the-cuff sp- story that came up, but it's about a police officer. I remember one time I was in um, West Hollywood on West Knoll, and I just got this brand new beautiful place on West Knoll. And I was just outside, um, you know, walking on my beautiful street, and um, there was a police officer. And I grew up like, hi, how are you? I grew up running cross-country, so I'm a sociable butterfly. I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm just like, hi to everyone. So there's a police officer. He was in his um, police car um, by himself. And um, it was actually parked, kind of like a double parked. And uh, but he was outside of his vehicle. And I was just like, hi, how are you? And and he was like, hi. And I think maybe he asked a question or kind of struck up a conversation. You know, at the end of it, it was short, you know, it was brief. I kept it. I kept it short. But at the end of it, he gave me his business card. And I felt, oh, my God, this is so great. Like a local police officer in my neighborhood. If anything happens, I have like a go-to police officer, you know, because I'm, you know, a single female in in California and I was like a newbie there. So I'm like, yeah, having like a police officer on my Rolodex on lock, this is like awesome. (laughs) And I remember like he's giving me his card and he's like, yeah, let me know if you want to go for pizza sometime. And I'm just like, I mean, cute pizza. Yeah, like pizza fun. But it's like, yo, I'm like reflecting this police officers on duty and I was just hit on by an on-duty police officer they're giving me his card you know for protection if I need if anything comes up but I'll also be like yo you want to go get some pizza and I'm just like mm. and so I, I mean I never called him or anything like that but yeah um, it's yeah of course. interesting yeah. life you know uh we didn't have the opportunity to talk about our story and how we met, but um, I think we're going to wrap it up here. And I would love in the near future to have you back on and uh, play more of your music, hear more of your stories and your insight. And, uh, you know, hopefully then we can uh, share, you know, the beautiful kinship we have and, and how we met. Absolutely. But- that would be great. I'd, cool. I'd love that. Cool. Thank you so much for being on. She's all over the place. You're awesome. Rock and roll. Stay healthy and safe. And uh, I love you so much. The best is yet to come. And uh, let's keep creating and being a ripple effect and making it happen. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. I love you too. You're awesome. You're awesome as well. Thank you. Do you have any uh, last words, quotes, advice, anything you want to share with the viewers before you roll out? Be safe. And let's all, there's this word, there's this uh, saying that um, people say in uh, Africa in general, which is in French is on et ensemble which means that we are together. And um, I think that that is the reality. We are together. So I think it's good for us to just remember that. Beautiful, beautiful. Awesome. Ali Senegali, the one and only, reporting live from Senegal. Lucky us. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing space and your stories. I mean, you're, you're epic. Thank you, Katie. I love you. <laughs> In Greek, we say, Whoopa. <laughs> Whoopa. <laughs> All right. Many blessings, my friend. Stay healthy and safe. I love you. Mwah. All right. Kalinixa. Kalinikta. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kiriaki. Over and out. <laughs>